wanted us to dig into um, the Trinity, all right? And because um, I know s- um, several people have, have asked me questions and all about, about the Trinity, and I, I thought it would be good for us to just jump into this, uh, give clarifications. Um, I will, we will do this like Bible study, all right, these, um, these next couple of Sundays. So um, you don't have to wait until Wednesday to, to ask me questions. If you have a question while we're working through this, just put your hand up. And, and I, I'll stop and, and explain it. I think this is such an important topic that um, that we need to address. All right. So. Um, uh, so the Trinity um, last week, I kind of gave you the general um, points. All right. Right. The general three things that I wanted us to take away f- um, with the Trinity. And I'm not I'm, I'll just re- just give you those three statements again and then um, move on. Number one. We want to keep in mind, we, I gave tons of verses on this last week. I'm not going to go over those things again. But first, we have to know that the doctrine of the Trinity simply stated is there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons. Okay, and I'm, I'll deal with that, the eternal part in just a second, right? So when we say talk about the Trinity, we're saying that God, there is only one God, and he exists as three distinct persons okay three distinct persons okay and so uh, we sh- I showed how last week the reason that we run into trouble and misunderstanding is in this is because we don't separate who God is from what God is whenever we talk about God most of us hear the father so when we pray God please help we mean father please help so when we say Jesus is God for some reason, we get confused in our minds because we're equating Jesus with the Father. But that's not what the statement Jesus is God means. OK, we're confusing who God is. Right. The person of God with what God is, meaning his nature, his essence, his being. So when we say Jesus is God, we're using the word theos in the generic sense that the Bible uses it, meaning his divinity or his deity. God the Father is eternal. Jesus is eternal. God the the Father is all-knowing. Jesus is all-knowing. Everything the Father is, Jesus is. That is what we mean by Jesus is God. Okay. And so we'll look at this in just one second from John chapter 1. Um, so there's only one God is the first point that we take away from this. Number two, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. All right. We saw that um, in several passages, specifically Matthew chapter three, when Jesus is coming up out of the water. Right. The Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. And then we hear the father speaking from heaven. All right. So there are three distinct persons. There is not one of them who manifests himself three ways. There are three persons within the one um, being of God. And then the last part, each person is fully God. Okay, we're not saying that the father is one third God. The son is one third God. The spirit is one third God. Right. The father is 100 percent God. He possesses all of the attributes of deity. Jesus is 100 percent God. He possesses all the attributes of deity. The Holy Spirit is 100 percent God. He possesses all the attributes of deity. Okay, so in Bible study, 
you know, um, of course, someone say, would say, well, 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3, right? And, and that is true. However, 1 times 1 times 1 is 1, okay? There's only one nature. All three of them share that nature, but there's still only one nature, okay? All right, so most of us would agree that with the statement in, around the world, anybody, nobody really challenges the idea that God the Father is God. Okay, so we're going to put that part to the side. Okay, we're just going to assume that God the Father is God. A lot of people have trouble with Jesus being God. Okay, so th this is where we'll focus uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. I jotted down 20 points. <laughs> okay, <laughs> 20 points. Okay. And, and, and still, I'm not scratching the surface on the number of points that I could have brought up to prove with the Bible that Jesus is God. OK, so um, so this Sunday and next Sunday, we'll we'll focus on Jesus being God. And then next the week after that, we'll focus on the Holy Spirit um, and what the Bible says about him being God. So the first point I want us to look at, I want us to go to um, John 1, 1. OK, you could turn there. In your Bible, I have it actually written out uh, in Greek on the board. No, somebody was like, you want us to learn that? No, I do not. Okay. I, I, do, I do not want you to learn it. There's a reason that I'm putting it up. All right, John chapter 1. Most of us uh, probably can quote John 1, 1. All right. So simply it says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. OK, so I want to want us to, um, to the reason I, I bring this up um, in the Greek text is because it really helps us to understand what is being said. Right. So here. Uh, when we say in RK ain halagos, right? In beginning was the word. What I want you to, to see, <laughs> what they say? Oh. Um, this is talking about Jesus's eternality. Okay. John is, is claiming that Jesus is eternal. Now, of course, he is alluding back to Genesis chapter one, where it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. OK, the reason that John is is saying with this verse that Jesus is eternal is because the tense that the that the word was is in is is talking about past tense. What he's saying is when the beginning happened, the word was already in existence. OK. He is eternal. That's why I said in my definition that the definition of the Trinity is that there is one God who eternally existed as three persons. Okay, so it's not like in um, we, um some of us know we talked before about in three twenty five um, where we get the doctrine um, the um, Nicene Creed. Okay, we're we're looking at the we just learned the Apostles' Creed, right? So it's, they're, they're very similar. But in, in, in 325, of course, we had the church council in Nicaea. They're debating Jesus's deity, 
okay? Um, because Arius is saying Jesus is not eternal, right? They said that he was brought into being by the Father, and he is the first being. This is, the, is, is where um, Jehovah's Witnesses take their, their teaching from, that he is the first created being, and then God used him to create everything else. But he says, as his phrase was, there was a time when the Son was not, okay? And so uh, this so upset the church, they brought together a church council to, to put in stone what is the nature of Jesus's eternality, his being, right? Is he eternally God, just like the Father, or is he some lesser deity that was created by the Father? And the church council, you know, was very clear, well, not so clear as they kept debating the issue <laughs> afterwards, right, because uh, the uh, disciples of Arius would not let it go, um, that, that Jesus is of the same nature, right? They use this, uh, this word homoousius, right? He is the same nature as the father, not as the Arians wanted homoousius, meaning a similar nature. He is of the same nature as the father. He is eternal, just like the father. Okay. The second um, phrase here, and the word was with the God. That's important. The reason, if you notice in the third phrase, you have this word theos, meaning God. You also have it here, meaning God. Okay. Notice there is a definite article in front of God here, right? The God, but it is not in the third phrase. So in Greek, when you see the word theos with the, um, a definite article in front of it, this is translated the Father. It is always referring to the Father if there's a definite article in front of it. So it is saying, and the word was with the Father. Right? It's talking about their relationship. It also is proof that they are distinct, that Jesus is not the Father. Not going to get into that. Okay, not going to go into Sabellianism, okay? But anyway, so it's talking about, he's, that he's not saying that Jesus is the Father, which is the idea of, of Sabellianism. This is not what the, the passage is teaching. It is not saying that Jesus is the Father. It says that Jesus was with the Father, and he was with the Father eternally. He's always been there with the Father. Or as we look at it later on in John chapter um, 1, where he says that the son who is, was, is, their relationship is so close, John says, the son who is in the bosom of the Father. They're so close that they're like a, a mother nurse who nurses and holds her infant, right? That is the closeness of their relationship. The third phrase says, and God was the word. Now, our version, of course, because we put subject, uh, verb, and then the predicate. Okay, we, we change it around. But all they're saying is, it's not saying that the Father was the Word because there's no definite article. Here, when we see the word theos, it's just talking about his deity. Okay, so when we say Jesus and 
the word was God, we're just saying that the word was divine. Everything that the father is in his nature, Jesus is. So again, if the father is, is holy, Jesus is holy. If the father is all powerful, Jesus is all powerful. Everything that we can say about God the father is also true about God the son. Everybody see that? Any questions? Nala. Yes, the word is Jesus, because when you get to verse 14, it says the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Right. So this is, is referring to is referring to Jesus. Any, any other questions? Oh, getting. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, is Jesus under his father? In his divinity or in his in his humanity? Okay. Okay. So, so it, what you're saying is, if Jesus never became um, a human being, he would never have to submit to his father. <laughs> They're like, oh, no, no, hell no, I, I, I didn't say that. That's not what I said. <laughs> um, yes, even though that's a metaphor, I, I, I get your point. So it, it, in, before Jesus, in eternity past, before, before um, uh, God created the world, right? Did did Jesus have to submit to his father? Well, yes, it does. The the literally the literally the word submit literally means to voluntarily place yourself under someone else. To voluntarily place yourself under someone else. Voluntarily is the key word. Yes. That is the problem. That is the problem. When we hear the word submit, we think, oh, you mean someone is lesser. Because in our culture, we say, oh, a wife is supposed to submit to her. I ain't got to submit. I'm equal to you. Right. Because we hear, when we hear the word submit, we hear, oh, the reason that we submit is because we're lesser than that other person. But is that the idea of submission? No. Nope. That's not the idea of submission. That's why I said the word submission means to voluntarily place yourself under someone. Right. So um, long story short. <laughs> OK, so uh, um, what we talk about, right, is people don't write this down. We going off on a rabbit trail. This is not where I was planning on going. Y'all do this to me. Every Bible study. OK, <laughs> OK, um, we are going to get back on track. OK. Um, People will talk about, again, 
Do you, you don't have to write this down. The ontological trinity. And the economic, economical trinity. Okay. Um, all they mean by this is um, like ontological, on, like, um, on, uh, never mind, whatever. <laughs> Talking about his nature. <laughs> okay. Who, what the trinity is like in their nature. Okay. What they were before God created the world. How did they interact? What was their relationship like? When we talk about the economic trinity, right, we're talking about um, their, their relationship in the world, okay? Like, think of economics. We're talking about the division of labor in our economy, okay? So in the division of labor, this is easy for us to see. We can see, okay, the father's role, right, the son's role, and the Holy Spirit's role. Okay, so the, the father is the one who came up with the plan of the world and the uh, and the plan for salvation. Jesus is the one who submits to his father. He comes and dies according to the father's plan. Right. We see in the book of Acts that it was the definite plan of the father to put the son to death. Okay. And Jesus voluntarily submitted to his father's plan. Okay. And then but Jesus is not the one who comes to live in us after we put our faith in him. That's the Holy Spirit's role, right? So, so there are, are definite roles that they play within the Trinity. What we have to keep in mind, though, is the economic Trinity is just simply a reflection of what they are in nature. So if the son submits to the father in, in his role on earth, it is because that is a reflection of their relationship from all eternity, even though they are all equal, right? The book of Hebrews says he had no, no need for, um, um, for obedience because he was God, right? He had no need of obedience, but he learned obedience through the things that he suffered, okay? So he, he willfully puts himself under the Father even though they are equals. Within the Trinity, the Father still takes the primary you know, um, place, okay? Or as, as in, in uh, ancient church and patristics, they say that, that God, the Father, is the monarch, right? He is the one who takes amongst the three trinity, of the members of the trinity, he takes priority, right? In, in the sense of the role that he plays within the trinity. Even though they're equal, the Holy Spirit and the Son choose to submit themselves to the, um, to the Father within their relationship, so I think that, you know, peop sometimes people wrestle um, with that, but we wrestle with it because we think in terms of, of humanity that, my, you know, my, my, he's my father and, and I'm his son, so I have to listen to him. But I'm not listening to my father because I'm inferior to him, right? I listen to my father out of respect. And, it, and it's the same thing within the, within, the, within the Trinity, that the role that the Father plays within the Trinity, the Son chooses to submit to, to the Father. And then the Holy Spirit chooses to submit to the Father and the Son. Because that's the function or role that, in a sense, they have all agreed upon, right? <laughs> that's just the the relationship that they have. 
And the reason that we have marriage where a wife is supposed to voluntarily place herself under the leadership of her husband, Ephesians chapter five, is because marriage is a reflection of the relationship of the members of the Trinity. So Jesus is equal with his father, but he voluntarily places himself under his father's leadership. And this is the same thing with husbands and wives. We're, we are completely equal in everything. But because God has, has put man as the head of the household, a wife voluntarily submits herself to her husband. Now, again, when we look at Ephesians chapter 5, you know, that doesn't mean that the wife just does everything the husband says, right? The husband is the one who has to make sacrifices for the wife in order to make it easy for her to voluntarily put himself un herself under him. But that is why the, the marriage is designed to be a reflection of the nature of the Trinity. Uh, Una. Is Jesus all-knowing? Absolutely. You want to read it for us? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So in this, this passage, Jesus says that the day he is going to return, he didn't know the date. Right? He, he didn't know the date when he was going to return. Um, there's multiple examples in the, in the Gospels of that, right? Jesus is, is, is walking to Jerusalem. And on the way, he sees a fig tree and he walks up to the fig tree because he wants to eat some figs. And he gets there and he's like searching. There's no figs on the tree. Now, if he was omniscient, wouldn't he know that there was no figs on that tree before he walked all the way over there? <laughs> no, I don't think he knew it was no figs on that tree. I don't think he knew that. I don't think he knew. Right. And, and there, 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 I mean, there's clearly other examples where Jesus is clearly asking people questions. I don't think he's asking people questions just to trick them into giving him saying something like I think he asked questions because he did not know. But here's the thing. This is the this is is where we run into ish, into, into trouble. OK, I remember listening to um, some years ago. I was listening to uh, Creflo Dollar, right? He was doing this series. And, and so he took passages from the Old Testament. We're going to be into Jesus for like three weeks, not two. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, he took passages from the Old Testament, like Isaiah chapter 40, right? Where it says that, that God does not get weary. He does not sleep. Okay. And so then he flips to the New Testament and he says, and now Jesus is asleep on the boat. He turns to, you know, John chapter three and John chapter four, where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and he sits down at the well because he is tired. 
And so he said, well, see, what? Well, Jesus can't be God because the Old Testament said God can't be tired. He can't get sleepy, but Jesus here is sleep and he's tired. OK, and so his point was Jesus was not born God. He became God. OK, so he goes back to another fifth century heresy. <laughs> OK, um, here's the problem. The problem is that we do not recognize the difference between Jesus in his deity versus Jesus in his humanity. Jesus is 100% God. He is omniscient in his deity. But Jesus came to earth to live as a human being. So if Jesus in his humanity could not get tired, how would he relate to us? If he didn't sleep, how would he relate to us? So in this, I think it's the same idea when it, when it comes to his knowledge. Jesus, according to Luke chapter 2, he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I don't think Jesus came out the womb knowing how to do calculus. I just, I just don't. I don't think he knew that because he was a human being just like us. He had to learn and grow just like us. So when we talk about passages like Ephesians chapter, um, uh, chapter 2, where it talks about him emptying himself, right? He set aside the prerogatives of deity so that he could live like us. So the things that Jesus knew, for example, that it was no way for him to know, like in, in, in John when he meets Nathaniel and, and, and um, he says, Nathaniel, when you was in another city earlier today sitting under that tree, I saw you, right? How did he see that? Well, we, the reason I put a line right here, <laughs> I put this line for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is the one who unites the deity and the humanity of Jesus in one person, right? We call this the doctrine of the hypostatic union of Christ, right? That his deity and his humanity are joined in one person, but they never come together. They're separated. The Holy Spirit is like the firewall between his humanity and his deity. They do not join together, right? If we were looking in, like to talk about the Nicene Creed, right? That there is no confusion of the natures. They remain separate. His deity and his humanity resided in one person, but his deity did not communicate things to his, his humanity, like knowledge and information, okay? The way he knew things that it was impossible for him to know is that it was given to him or told to him through the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus says, the things that I hear from my father, those are the things that I do. Right. I see my father working and so I work. So the Holy Spirit was in him, giving him um, the special knowledge and power and all of those things that that he would not have been able to use in his humanity. So I would say that when people say, well, you know, there were things that Jesus did not know, that proves that he's not God. No, that proves he's a human being. And we have to separate in our, in our understanding his deity from his humanity. Oh, absolutely. Isaiah 61, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 11. 
And then we can start at Genesis and go all the way through the book of Revelation. <laughs> right. Because it talks about the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Right. It talks about how um, all of the, the miracles and things that he performed. Jesus did not perform those miracles because he was God. He performed those miracles because of the power of the Holy Spirit. No. No. Jesus did not perform those miracles out of his deity. And the reason that if he did do these things because of his deity, the question is, how did he say, you all, I have set an example for you to follow? Right? Because we could always say, well, the only reason that Jesus obeyed the father was because he was God. I ain't got to do all of that. No, he did it by relying on the Holy Spirit to empower him to do those things. Now, is it true that he is God? Is it true that the only reason he had the spirit was because he is God? Yes, that is true, but that is not, that is not how he did what he did. He did all of these things as a human being empowered by the spirit. And that's why he could say to the, um, to, to the, um, to the, to the Pharisees, Sadducees, you don't have to believe me, <laughs> you know, he said, but believe the works that I'm doing because of the works, right? We'll see this in one of the passages where, where John the Baptist says, are you the one that we're looking for or should we look for another? Jesus did not go into explaining, well, you see, I'm God in the flesh, you know, so like you got to believe me. What did he say? He said, the deaf can hear, the blind can see, people have been raised back to life. Blessed is the person who is not offended because of me. What is he doing? He's going back to a quote, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 11, right? That the spirit of God is going to be on the one anointed by the father. And he's going to perform certain miracles to prove who he is. Right. So Jesus didn't perform those miracles or live as God. He lived as a human being because he had to live and die and defeat the devil as a human being who also happened to be God. <laughs> okay. Okay. How what? Absolutely. That's the point. We could not, we cannot live the Christian life on our own, right? That's why the spirit comes to live inside of us. Excuse me. So when, when we rely on the spirit to obey God, we rely on the Holy Spirit to get direction and guidance from God. We, we have the ability to live just as Jesus lived. Now, we will fail where he did not. OK, but um, we, we have the ability because we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. We just have to rely on the Holy Spirit. I am not saying I don't want anybody to 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 hear, hear me saying that, you know, that that as Creflo Dollar's conclusion was that just like Jesus could speak to the, the fig tree and curse it and it died, he could walk on water and all that other stuff, that that's not my point. Don't try walking on water. You will fail. <laughs> OK. And, and statistically speaking, us don't know how to swim. So I, I would I would not do not try that. OK. <laughs> If we put that, do not try this at home kind of thing. Okay, that, that, but the point I'm making is, 
is that in order to live our lives, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit just like Jesus did. When he went into the wilderness, right, when he went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, notice the devil's temptations was to tempt him as a man, and he tempted him to use his deity. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread, right? The the tempt was, what are you talking about? If I'm the son of God, I could turn that into bread if I want, okay, right? And if he had used his deity to save himself, all of us would be lost. Because it would be proof (laughs) you can't live this life as a human being without being God. Um, so, um, yeah, that's a good word right there, but I want to ask about, is it, Jesus didn't come, I mean, I, I get what you just said now, uh, Jesus had to save his humanity to prove we can rely on the Holy Spirit in our life, but it made me think about, um, when Jesus appeared, like to Moses, and to his deity. In Matthew 17. Oh, I'm sorry. You talking about? Okay, I got with you. I th- right, I got you. No, I thought when you, I thought you were talking about Jesus when he met with Moses and Elijah on the mountain of transfiguration. I, I see, I see your point. You talking about at the burning bush? Yeah. So okay. Mm-hmm. But the Bible says his skin kind of glows, and so we hear a glow about him. So if Jesus is in humanity, like we see in uh, Matthew, he's walking among us. No one, none of the disciples' skin started to glow. They didn't take off their sandals. So to me, I'm just making a connection in the difference in God. Is it true that Jesus was appearing in his deity to Moses, like in the burning bush? And that was not. Um, let me say first that people will, some people debate if that was Jesus at the burning bush. I think it actually absolutely was, and I and I, I actually is one of one of my points to to um to touch on. Um, so in in a sense, in the Old Testament, anytime we see an appearance of Jesus, it has to be in his deity because, you know, he did not become a human being, and and you know yet, right? So um, his glory was veiled by his by his humanity. Right. Um, so in, 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 in the Old Testament, when you see what we call Christophanies, right, p- appearances of, of Christ. Right. They would have would have they still didn't see him in his full glory because if they did, he, they would die. OK. So in, in a sense, God always veils his glory um, because no finite creature can can see God completely. That's his point that he said to Moses in Exodus 33. You know, show me your glory. Uh, you you cannot see me and live like it would literally kill you. But um, but in the New Testament, when Jesus comes as, as, as a human being, right, he, John can say that we beheld his glory. 
right? In, in, in some sense, they still could behold his glory, even though um, it was veiled by his humanity. I, I, I just think that, you know, there are instances where, where in the Old Testament they did get a glimpse of, of God, right? And of course, I think that those, most of those examples are of Christ. But um, in God's grace, he still did not kill them. Um, but so to answer your question, it w- would have been uh, an, a, an appearance of Christ in his deity, not his humanity, because he did not have his humanity until he was born. Um, I want you to turn to, to the book of, well, you should be in John. No, well, I'm in John. John chapter 5. <laughs> John chapter 5. Real quick. Um, my time is up. I'm going to hit this one anyway. Hit <laughs> this one point. We can see. Um, sometimes people will, will um, say, this is to Janita's point, right? Some people will say, well, Jesus wasn't in the Old Testament. Okay. Um, Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 5. Verse 10, John chapter 5, verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, the man who made me well said to me, take up your mat and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take it up and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that um, nothing worse can happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews, Albert, I'm, mm, I had these things. Joshua 5.14 is what I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm sorry. I should be in, in 5.39. I read the wrong portion. Skip down to verse 39 of John chapter 5. I was reading the wrong portion. Listen to what Jesus says. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that testify about me. Okay, now was the New Testament written yet? No, no. They only had the Old Testament. So Jesus says, you search the scriptures, the Old Testament, because you think that in them, the Old Testament, you have eternal life, and it is they, the Old Testament, that testifies on my behalf. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. If anyone comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe when you accept glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the one who alone is God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the father. Your accuser is Moses on whom you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. Now Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? Okay. And Jesus said that you all don't really believe Moses because if you believed Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. Now, where in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy do you see Moses writing about Jesus? He, He writes about the Lord. 
He writes about Yahweh. He writes about God. He writes about Jehovah. He doesn't write about Jesus. But Jesus says, Moses was writing about me. So so what we have to learn do is we have to start digging our way back into the Old Testament and saying, well, where 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 was um where was Moses writing about Jesus at? Right? And we need to find some passages where Moses writes about Jesus. First one, Genesis chapter three. I promise you I ain't gonna keep you long. Give me give me like two minutes. Give me an extra two minutes or three or four or five. Genesis chapter 3, and then we'll, we'll pick back up next week, and I ain't going to let y'all talk. Y'all be, y'all be taking me off course. Genesis chapter 3. Now, you know me, I would say Moses wrote about Jesus in Genesis 1-1 when he said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but that's, you know, I'm not going to mess y'all up right now. Genesis chapter 3. We all know Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sins, right? And listen to what God says to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between, I'm sorry, verse 15, Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the serpent, you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God is talking to the serpent. He says, I'm going to put strife. There's going to be a battle between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Okay. Now we see the very next chapter, Cain kills Abel. Okay. And God says to Cain, you know, that that sin desires to control you, but you must rule over it. Okay. You're, You're in danger of falling prey to the serpent. You got to control yourself. What does he go and do? He kills Abel, proving that he is a seed of the serpent and he kills the seed of the woman. Right. That's the first example. So um, but here he goes on to he's referring to a specific person. He just says that there's going to be conflict between your descendants and the descendants of the woman. But then he says he who is the he who is this he he's referring to a specific person that is going to come and do battle with the devil. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Says Satan, there's going to be this ongoing battle between your descendants and the descendants of this of this woman. Eventually, there's going to be one descendant that comes and you will do battle with him. And in the process, you're going to strike a minor blow. You're going to you're going to you're going to bruise his heel. But in striking that minor blow, he is going to completely defeat you. He's going to crush your head. Where do we see that? On the cross. Jesus on the cross receives a minor blow. You know, a minor blow, he died. 
Yeah, but he got back up. <laughs> okay. And, and, and the Bible says that because he got back up, he completely destroyed the power of Satan. Because Satan's worst, the worst he can do is kill you. But if you can get back up from the dead, he has no more power. Right. And so that's the whole point of First Corinthians chapter 15. Well, if he got up. He also has the power to raise you up. Paul says in Ephesians that the, the, the one who raised Jesus from the dead will also quicken, also make alive your mortal bodies. OK, because Jesus got up, he now has the power to do the same for all those who put their trust in him. OK, so the, the first example of clear example um, of Jesus, because of course, I would say Gen Genesis chapter one, right, where God says, let us make man in our image. I'm like, well, who is he talking to? He was just like talking to himself. I don't know. He's talking to the angels that are not in his image. I don't know. But Genesis chapter three is the first clear example that everyone agrees with. This is the first reference to Jesus in the Bible. Right. The first example of the gospel. Right. That he's going to die in order for us to have eternal life. All right. I'm over my time. I'm going to come back next week. I'm going to limit the number of questions that we that we that, that we ask okay but um i want us to, to um to continue i'm gonna start working my way through different passages in the old testament showing you that these are examples of jesus and we're going to match these passages up so for example in the old testament where it says jehovah which everyone reads jehovah as the father in the old testament right and they should okay um jehovah says i am the alpha and the omega i am the first and I'm the last. And then Jesus shows up in the New Testament and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and I'm the last. Okay. And we'll look at it in, in, in a, back to the, to the Old Testament, you know, looking at, at passages where the, where the Father, well, people say, Ephesians chapter 3, where God says, Moses, tell the people that I am has sent you. Okay. And so... I am is referring to who? God the Father. That's what we say. But then Jesus shows up in John chapter 8 and says, Before Abraham was, I am. And next verse, they pick up stones to stone him for claiming to be God. <laughs> right? John chapter 18, he does the same thing. He claims to be the I am, and they again try to kill him. Why is Jesus? Why does Jesus keep claiming to be Jehovah? Is he confused? I mean, it, does he he just want them to kill him, or is he really Jehovah? Isaiah, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, and Jesus says in John chapter twelve, "Yeah, Isaiah said that when he saw me." Okay, so we'll look at these passages starting next week so that we can begin to have a clear picture and understanding of what it means for Jesus to be God. Okay, and we'll pick that back up next Sunday. Amen. All right. So again, um, Bible study, we'll, we will continue talking about the Trinity. Bring your questions. We'll, you know, we will look at at um 
um, continue to look at, at, at some of these verses in a little more detail. Um, and then you can you can ask um, some questions more in depth. And then we'll come back next Sunday and we'll keep working through uh, the points that um, that I have. All right. Um, I know it is communion Sunday. All right. So let's uh, take communion really quickly.